0: Welcome to the Infinite Improvisation Podcast, Adventures in Music and Creativity. I'm Lauren Best, joined by my co-host, Steve Tressler. Hello. Hello, welcome back.
1: Yeah. So today, we're going to do a little check-in on some educational projects we've got, we've got going. Um, I'd like to refer to myself as a teaching artist. I don't know what you think of that term, Lauren. Do you embrace teaching artist?
0: I embrace the term teaching artist. I've often heard it referred to as artist educator, Mm. but go on.
1: That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so I have heard it as a way to refer to people that have a, a dual career path. So in my case, the performing recording artist side and also the education side, where I'm not necessarily a performer who teaches a little bit on the side or an educator who plays a little bit on the side, but kind of going all in in both areas. and and yeah i know some people aren't aren't a huge fan of the term artist educator i do like teaching artists because oftentimes when we we talk about our greatest teachers we call them like oh one of my you know my first you know my first music teacher we don't say my first educator sometimes that nothing against the term education but sometimes it can reek of the system a little bit so but artist educator is a similar similar term
0: Mm -hmm. what how do you feel about facilitator
1: I like it. I like it more than consultant. We've talked about that, but that's another <laughs>
0: You like it more how how does it rank compared to teacher and educator? Or I guess teaching artist is a little different than teacher, but
1: Yeah. It's to me it's facilitator. It's maybe even seems like more of a neutral term. Sometimes it might not be it's just maybe even a little more ambiguous. Well, what's what's being facilitated and is there the education happening or you're just helping uh manage a, a a group of people and just kind of keeping everyone on track? Are you facilitating a meeting? Does it mean you're leading it or just muting and unmuting people? Uh, how much, how much is going on? So
0: And I have to say facilitating artist versus teaching artist mm-hmm. has a very different energy in terms of like, I don't know, just like teaching artist sounds a little more homegrown, like a little, mm-hmm. you know, a little more holistic maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas, and I really like the term facilitator because I think it's, understood very broadly like this this kind of brings us to you know Mm -hmm. class versus lesson versus workshop Mm. versus session like some of these ambiguities
1: seminar versus retreat versus camp versus yeah yeah.
0: exactly exactly yeah and and how different industries or different contexts Mm -hmm. or different regions or different you know there's different approaches but we we try to find language that communicates more (laughs) there can be there can there can be some ambiguous language mm-hmm. there as well but
1: yeah for me teaching artists seems a little bit independent too because I'm not necessarily in a you know in the in a big institution or or something like that and yeah facilitating to me that would may that would be I would need more clarification if you, if you introduced yourself because I'm an artist facilitator or like what oh interesting what on earth does that mean so
0: yeah, I also like the term mentor and mentoring, mm-hmm. but it's often used to mean more individual relationships. I've noticed people who I speak to have super broadly differing opinions on the term coach <laughs> and mm-hmm. coaching and what that means and whether it brings to mind sports or whether it brings to mind mm-hmm. business coaching or, or, or other things entirely. And um, I think coach and mentor are sometimes used... Mm-hmm. a little interchangeably, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, different coaching, yeah, whether it's a yeah, life coach or your batting coach, it can mean different things. Usually people um, can be, yeah, in the sports world, a positive relationship with with coach. Um, what was what was the other one you said? Coach and, yeah, mentor. That's important, you know, I speak with, with my mentors as reverence, like, oh, this was my great mentor, but calling yourself like, hi, I'm a saxophonist and mentor, I'm like, that that just sounds a little presumptuous and i'm not sure i'm not sure why or you can talk about oh i do you know like to you know be a mentor figure to young but as soon as you Id- identify it as the label hello i'm steve saxophone is dead mentor i'm like hmm i said sound, it sounds a little suspicious but to to claim that one but i don't know where was this leading is the yeah looking at the education side of what we what we do what projects we've got our own artistic and creative projects going but on the on the education, teaching, facilitator side, um, I know you have. Yeah, we've we've got some things happening this fall, and I wanted to yeah, hear more about your programs. I know you're redesigning your your classes, which have been left some more traditional, you know, one-on-one piano lessons and group things, and re, yeah, re. Sounds like you're revamping those, and I want to hear about. <laughs> I want to hear about improv club.
0: Sure, yeah. So do you want me to just kind of tell you a little bit about that journey?
1: Yeah, about the journey and then the overview of your programs, which I've heard a little bit, but yeah, I want to hear hear more because it's interesting.
0: Oh, thanks. Well, I mentioned the journey just kind of to contextualize it a little. Um, So during the pandemic, I was offering piano, voice, ukulele programs. Sorry, one-to-one lessons online, I should say, to start. And I was doing some group programs, too, in terms of like... Uh, I've done you know talks and professional development and and um, group baby classes online. But at the beginning of the pandemic, the for voice, piano, ukulele, that was all one to one. Then last summer, uh, I over the summer chose to switch my individual lessons to groups, uh, <laughs> and so I kind of. Designed that over the summer, what those groups would look like, and I, I mean, I already had some idea of that from facilitating lots of groups in different kinds of contexts, and uh, both for music, but also for like other art forms or or um, learning through the arts um, and and things like that. So um, over the past year, I've been running these groups, <laughs> uh, and so they've. I had a piano group, I had a ukulele group, um, and they're group lessons. So they're covering a lot of the same stuff that we are covering one-on-one. In fact, we have some one-on-one I'll use the word coaching <laughs> or feedback <laughs> or mentorship time during the lesson. Um, but then there's all this group stuff too, where they're getting to collaborate and improvise and uh, do, you know, creative activities together and do some activities that focus on coordination and skill building and like kind of building general musicality and, um, So I was running those programs over the past year and kind of refining that curriculum. As I said, I sort of, I sometimes actually call it a framework rather than curriculum. Because when we, like, when we think of a curriculum like a method book, um, and the idea is that I'm using this framework with method books that we were using before, and some of the students, uh, it's kind of like an uh, an independent study portion of the class, and they might Mm -hmm. be doing that in a method book, or they might be doing that... Uh, like learning songs, like learning other repertoire mm-hmm. of their choice, or they might be songwriting or like working on their own projects or and their own project could be improvising. But it's that sort of self-directed journey mm-hmm. where I'm making suggestions, I'm helping them kind of move towards that goal um, and helping them practice effectively, right? Helping them engage and deliver practice, helping them with their problem solving and with guiding them. Um, but it's coming from where they want to go, you know, and kind of, and and the pacing is a bit more where they want to be. Whereas in the group, I like to do lots of co-design with the groups too and get input. Um, But with the group, like we're, we're, we're going through more like group creative processes or group um, activities. So last summer I was developing that framework and then implementing it over the past year and kind of refining it and like, you know, like any new program, seeing what we love, seeing what we want to change. As a result of that, of doing that over the past year, um, I decided to offer it in the coming year um, as mixed instrument groups. So we'll have piano, ukulele, and voice together in a kids' group. Um, oh, yeah, and also gave it a name after this year of experimentation, and that's kaleidoscope music. And I call it that because with a kaleidoscope, You see things from different perspectives, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You see things from changing perspectives or or, or changing interpretations of what you see. Um, And it creates patterns and it creates kind of instant compositions. Um, And I felt that kaleidoscopes being something that creates patterns out of what is and creates Mm -hmm. kind of artistic interpretations out of what is, but also being like a playful toy and something that we use as a tool for observation and reflection, really, right mm-hmm. it, it, like a kaleidoscope doesn't have rules or you mm-hmm. don't win a kaleidoscope. i well I hope you win a kaleidoscope, but you don't win at kaleidoscope, you yeah. know like it's um it's about it, like kaleidoscopes are inherently process oriented mm-hmm. um yeah it's an, it's, an in,
1: it's an infinite game rather than a finite game there's totally. not a, there's not a rule you're you're playing with it, but there's the the goal is to continue
0: totally continue yeah playing. and and they're like and it also it's that um fitting together pieces to make a whole, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of like, of, of different perspectives coming together, different people, Mm -hmm. right? But like also different elements coming together, um, to create like this cohesive and beautiful pattern that may sometimes be somewhat abstract, right? Mm -hmm. More or less recognizable. Um, but can be appreciated (laughs) both in play and, and in like in art, right? Like we, we play Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. kaleidoscopes. We also have lots of examples of art that, um, that, that uses kind of kind of those methods. So anyhow, I digress. So over the last yeah. year, um, that's what I've been doing. So in the fall, I'm also having a voice specific group. Um, so we'll, we will have one one voice group for people who really want to deep dive on voice in the in the fall in Kaleidoscope. So, I'll have a kids group, an adult group that are both mixed instruments, and then a voice group oh, okay. that's for ages ten and up. So like kids and adults mixed together, but with a hmm. with a like voice concentration. Got it. Just because voice technique can have some extra stuff, vocalists can still join the kids or the adult group. But like, I thought I would do one voice-specific group as well.
1: I see. and then a mixed instrumentation with keyboards and ukuleles and guitars. Yeah, and, and, and
0: it could be voice voice with that. Like, I okay. I specialize yeah. in keyboard and ukulele. I do play some guitar as well. Um, but with this with this format, the idea is that like the musicality building parts, I'll say. some of that's on instruments, some of that's off. <laughs> um, but like you, even if you were bringing not your main instrument to that, you would still be benefiting from it because it's building up the improvisation skills, the musicality mm-hmm. skills, like like those skills um, that aren't only specific to your organi- to, to your instrument. So sometimes in those sections we do body percussion and we do um, or, or, or vocal sounds. We do, like, other things to build up. Some of it's on instrument, too. Um, and then there's, like, a collaborative, creative, um, like, section where where uh, we're doing those sorts of, of activities, coming together. Um, mm-hmm. There's some sharing with one another, getting feedback, kind of getting used to presenting, but also getting used to sharing where we're at in our musical journeys. You know, the kind of music class as support group in our mm-hmm. music learning journey element of it. Um and then we have this individualized part uh, where the students are typically working individually, but if they want to team up, they can And I call mm-hmm. that quests and questions, um, which is actually inspired by Quest University, um, which is in BC. Um, and so, so that part, I say quests and questions because like, a, we know what a quest is, right? Like we're working towards mm-hmm. what we feel called towards, working towards our goals, but also questions because sometimes... Like we're not quite on a quest yet, but we're we're working through questions <laughs> um or sometimes people have questions for me so a bit so uh yeah uh do you have questions yeah so if
1: I have quests and questions it, so is this online now or is this oh yeah, in yeah, so or these
0: right? groups are online
1: so so these are these are online
0: these groups could so this format this framework could totally work in person. the reason I do it online um is one for accessibility in terms of like we are all able to log in in our own music studio environments right mm-hmm. I am not limited by the number of pianos I can fit into a room I'm not it, it, to be candidly it makes it logistically possible right because I can't run a mixed instrument class and not know how many pianos I'm going to need like mm-hmm. I could I mean I could run a mixed instrument class with only one piano in the studio in person but the 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 point is, is that we each have our own instruments our own sort of musical fishbowl Mm -hmm. it being online but that we're coming together um and you know like i have two kids Mm -hmm. after school time is busy Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) in terms
0: of getting kids to and from activities so um and the area i live in um, has a lot of people who live in in rural areas and so for people to who live like a half hour or you know an hour out of the main center for them to come into town mm-hmm. for their kid to do a music lesson and then go back home, it can really start to become a time, a huge time commitment mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and bringing siblings and this and that. So part of it being online makes it more geographically flexible. I can take mm-hmm. students from different regions, but even in terms of my local community, it makes it more accessible in terms of people not needing to commute. But also it means we get all the benefits of technology. So I do it yeah. on Musi, uh, using Musi, which is a platform it's kind of like zoom for music lessons, except it has way more than that. so
1: music, not a sponsor, but you're welcome to be a sponsor
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and so so with music I have um you know, I, we can share videos back and mm. forth, I can create videos for them to to play along with. It has some like chat in between sessions. it has a whiteboard, it has a keyboard mm. that I can you know like a, an on-screen keyboard that we can we can show things on so and the whiteboard um has music specific tools that are yeah. that are handy for collaboration and doing doing creative things so that way we can like get the best of what the technology mm-hmm. offers <laughs> some of that some of that stem learning but like kind of those additional possibilities that the technology offers recording classes mm-hmm. There are, I'm sure there's things I'm forgetting to list <laughs> about yeah, the yeah. about being able to mute also. So yeah. again, like we can mute and and do things individually, and we can unmute and share, um, which has a lot of benefits in mm-hmm. that kind of environment. Um, so that we're able to have really individualized musical relationships mm-hmm. with our instruments, like that we can have some sense of privacy and working, you know, working on our own, but that we can also um, come together, obviously. Um and share and collaborate and get all the benefits of the group in yeah. that way.
1: Yeah. And I like that you call it a framework rather than a curriculum because curriculum sometimes sounds more rigid. And it's certainly if it's a framework that other people, you know, it's down the road can use, it gives more autonomy and creativity to the teachers. But some people don't want that. They want the curriculum, please just spoon feed it to me so I know what to do next. But
0: Well, I mean, there are yeah. there are some curriculum like elements to yeah. it, right? But the idea is that it can flex to mm-hmm. Different curriculums. Um, mm. Have you heard the idea of spiral curriculums or spiral education?
1: No, tell me more.
0: So the, I hope I don't. I hope I don't uh, reduce this too much. <laughs> but the the general idea is that we can teach sort of advanced concepts to even beginners mm-hmm. in a somewhat more generalized way, and then return to that concept <laughs> over and over and gain more depth around that concept rather than thinking of our curriculum as being like small building blocks that we add up little by little and you get all these building blocks and then eventually you get to see how those fit together and you get to see the big picture, right? So the idea with the spiral curriculum is that you get kind of a bigger, Mm -hmm. a sense of where you're going in the end much sooner and that you return to that and that you kind of return to the same concepts and the same ideas um, and, and gain a deeper understanding of them. Um, as you return to them so 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 some of some of that element too i i like the term framework model is another one now Mm. we're talking about language um maybe i'll maybe i'll have to decide whether it's a framework curriculum or model model. (laughs) maybe it's a little bit or
1: modules or pillars or uh, yeah (laughs) Uh,
0: and what i want also i wanted to think of like what's the best of what i have to offer right like Mm -hmm. what's most important for me to do with people musically like how can i help people the most right and then like how does that sort of pattern or simplify
2: mm-hmm. simplify
0: is the wrong word like uh, if i if i kind of put the answers of that into a schedule right like how does it make sense as a format or as a framework and so t- through testing this out I've, I've sort of found some things but i also i wanted something that could apply to different instruments and apply to different age groups um and so obviously there's lots we do that's specific for the person, for the age group, for the instrument, but the overall framework or model can flex and can can kind of be applied in these different ways and with this sort of spiral idea of um, having something that seems simple but allows us, in terms of it being something that is a somewhat repeatable framework, but allows for a lot of flexibility and customization within that and like diving deep into uh, things based on interest and based on... Um, on well, I guess interest and abilities of who's there and, and what's mm-hmm. most useful to them.
1: That's why, yeah, the framework is good, too. It can be adjusted to who's in the room, and which is element of improvisation as well. Uh, so is it, I mean, you have some younger kids. So is it, how much of it is, you know, like technical development, learn to play the instrument? I mean, with mixed instrumentation, like... Does someone need some supplemental lessons, like learn how to play the ukulele somewhere else and then jump into a kaleidoscope class? Or do you, how does that, uh, how does that part fit in?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, and actually I was going to mention this earlier when you mentioned guitar, for example, or what I was going to say is that the the one-on-one feedback portion, Mm -hmm. like I could give coaching and feedback to someone who was learning an instrument I don't play (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the feedback and coaching I would give would be different than than their teacher for that instrument right do you know what I mean so like I could it kind of depends on what they want to focus on so um like I'm not going to give them technical feedback on things I don't understand obviously right whereas with a with a voice or piano or ukulele student I can I can zoom in a little more to that technique um but it certainly could be something that is that 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 students do it in addition if they have a different private teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to sorry to answer your question in summary, there is individual feedback time. Yeah, that can be enough um, in terms of again the student where they're at, how like like mm-hmm. what their goals are, what they're working through. Like there is some of that individual feedback time, but depending on. Like if, if they had a different teacher, they could certainly bring things to the lesson that I would give them feedback on like songwriting or like I said, kind of musicality, performance, improvisation skills, um, theory skills. I'm probably for, I'm probably I'm probably forgetting things, but but you get a, a picture of that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And in my world, I do. I mean, but a one on one, you know, the saxophone lessons. Here's how to play, you know, someone who plays flute wants to learn saxophone. Here's how you make a sound. Here's how you t- you know, the technical skill development part. And the other more improvisation focused things i do i might get a saxophone tip here and there but then it's more about the the musicality and creativity elements so just yeah different just like flipping a switch so but if you had like a begin like you know it sounds like you've got some young kids too so if you had like a a really young kid that hasn't hasn't played ukulele before you might give them some individual coaching to get them going to ready for the kaleidoscope or i mean i'm kind of i guess i guess what i'm asking is like what's the, what's the level of proficiency someone would need to join one of these classes
0: the classes started at ages 6 and up. Okay. I find for kids who are right on the edge, uh, it can be beneficial to have a parent kind of around or close by. Yeah. <laughs> uh but that's partially because of like their reading level, mm. right? Like like some 6-year-olds aren't ready to be like typing and in things into the chat by themselves and kind mm-hmm. of reading what's on screen whereas other 6-year-olds I actually, I won't even specify age. <laughs> if kids can't read what's on the screen yet in terms of reading the words and navigating through the interface through mm-hmm. the user interface, right? Um, or if they can't like read and type in the chat, they might need some help. i've s- some students who aren't like they aren't totally reading yet, but they can do like kind of some of it and then they ask for help when they need mm-hmm. it. So part of it is actually not about the instrument. It's about just like navigating the interface and yeah, being yeah. online. I find kids go through this big change that I'm sure. Or that is like, uh, I'm sure there are a few different specific Mm. scientific developmental words for (laughs) and terms for the stage I'm talking about. But I bet you know, you know what I mean, where their language skills and kind of their ability to receive instructions, um, like auditory instructions and like their processing of everything and their kind of planning and organizational skills for their mind just sort of really like leaps a little. So I find between like ages six and eight kids often and some for some kids that starts a little sooner and for some kids it's a little later right i find that the way they progress in lessons this isn't specific to kaleidoscope in general i find they often kind of leap around that age i know most of your students are older but do you know Mm. what i mean like around that age it's like they can suddenly like their processing speed seems to increase and just like their, their auditory perception is shifting Mm -hmm. a little and their verbal skills shift a little. And like, they just, things come together a bit and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know what I mean? They like this thing. Um, and you're, you're catching me embarrassed that I don't have like better terminology to describe that. But what I'm trying to say is though, is that, (laughs) uh, is that if they start a little early, it might take them a little longer to progress. (laughs) If they start a little later in that developmental stage, they might initially progress a little more quickly. But once again, this isn't specific to kaleidoscope. This is what I say in general for music lessons. Is it worth starting earlier? Yes. Is your kid who starts at six, is their like kind of learning curve going to look the same as their eight-year-old sibling or as like a 10-year-old, right? It's a little different, but it's absolutely still worth starting sooner. So um, in terms of the basic level of proficiency on the instrument they could come to me as if they were coming to their first piano lesson with nothing. Like I've definitely had kids start with this format with almost nothing to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And then just like one-on-one lessons, it's all going to depend on how much time they spend in lesson time and how much time they spend practicing, right? For like kind of how quickly they, mm-hmm. they kind of go through some of those foundational mm-hmm. concepts. But the principle behind how I've organized this I believe this to be true through observation and I believe the science supports this <laughs> is that the classes are front loading a ton of musical experience. So if we kind of like as, as you talk about in improvisation workshops, right with older mm-hmm. kids, like let's get them playing and creating and doing stuff. And they're going to have all of the, uh, like, these increased skills that have nothing to do with reading music and in some ways aren't specific to their instrument. Like, it is specific to their instrument, but it's also transferable because they're getting Mm. these, like, all these musical concepts and musical skills that are being strengthened through, like, these collaborative and creative activities. Yeah? And so then, like, the kind of more typical lesson stuff when you're kind of saying, like, what do they need to start? What are the fundamentals? Like... Mm. There is one-on-one time. I'll catch them up with that as well. Like, we'll get them rolling with that. Like, we'll get them rolling with the technique. We'll get them all that. Um, But that they're also getting... Like, because... In one-on-one lessons, sometimes kids don't get to collaborate with other kids for quite a while, right? They may get to collaborate with the teacher, but they're not getting those other collaborative musical or skills. Or for 20
1: years in piano lessons or who knows, yeah. But when sometimes for that. a
0: long time, yeah. And and also in one-on-one lessons, I was only with students for a half hour typically, sometimes more. Yeah. But often, like the majority of lessons are half hour. These classes are 50 minutes. So the again, the idea is that they're with their instrument more. So you know, mileage may vary on practicing, right? But what I know is that the kids are going to be spending more time making music with their instrument in those first however many lessons, right? So so that just returns to the idea of beginners, right? Like how much they practice on their on their own or like in between lessons and also what they're coming to the lesson with, right? Like some people come, this may be a little different. I don't know if you find in saxophone lessons, some people are like a little bit self-taught, but like some kids have been messing around on piano and going to dance classes. And they actually have a bunch of informal musical training, right? Whereas other kids have like barely touched it when they're starting.
1: Yeah, that's, that, that's true. Oftentimes. Yeah. Some will do that. Some are just too worried about, they don't want to develop a bad habit and don't want to start anything until they have some instruction, which is respectable. And some just try to figure some stuff out on their own, which ends up often being a head start. Sometimes I have to, you know, as we got to, correct some things that aren't quite right but just kind of feeling your way around the instrument and developing a relationship and getting a sound is usually a bit of a head start even if you have to adjust some things as you go so um on kaleidoscope so is there it's clearly it's about the you know about process rather than Product is what it's sounding like, but is there some sort of is there some sort of final project that they're that they're doing or perf- like what is a what is the end of the term sound like in, in kaleidoscope? Yeah,
0: um, I mean I shouldn't say it's about process rather than product. Okay, well, that's it's what just, I said.
1: That's not what you said. So yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a bit,
0: Well, I actually did kind of say that that like with a kaleidoscope, a kaleidoscope itself is kind of all a process. I actually, as I said it, I wondered if I was leading there, but it's. Um, what I would say is my philosophy, philosophy would be that by being more aware and reflective and creative, perhaps, like we're having fun with the process, right? Like by bringing more to the process, we end up with a better mm-hmm. project in the end. And actually, in the case of these classes... Uh, my it's by having more process <laughs> we end up with a, like there's just more they're doing there's a greater variety of what they're they're doing um and again some kids may get this in one-to-one lessons because mm-hmm. like that works in those lessons maybe not the group collaboration but they may get a really wide variety I, mm-hmm. perhaps perhaps but um my experience teaching one-to-one though is that like Kids don't naturally play music games with me as well as they do with each other. It's a different thing when they're when they're like playing with each other. Like you see kids at recess playing with a ball. It's a lot different than how kids play in gym class with a ball, and it's a lot different than how a kid plays alone with a ball. Right? Like there's mm-hmm. there's different approaches. So anyhow, the we're, I'm actually planning three recitals mm-hmm. for this group. Um, the first being, and actually talking about the. the I'm not sure if this fits into the spiral curriculum philosophy, mm. but I wanted some of the format that each class takes um, to like, somewhat be mirrored throughout the year. Mm. Um, so our first recital is focusing on creating asynchronous but interactive musical activities. So um, call and response uh ostinatos for people to like join in on like creating some some virtual music musical activities um my this hasn't been officially announced yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) but my hope is to have this be on gather town or a similar type of virtual space it may To make it really easy for people to access, it's possible we won't be in a, like, visualized space like Gather Town. Mm. Um, But for the sake of imagining what this could be like, we'll use Gather Town as an example, right? So in Mm. Gather Town, you might have, like, sort of the virtual drum circle where we've, like, prepared different body percussion, rhythm tracks for people to try to learn or to play along with, right? Or And we might have, like, a section that's... um, more of like a gallery right where we have some like prompts that use some visuals right and then we we have we may have a section where Mm. the students have recorded some um like call and response improvisation prompts where they're Mm. like doing some of their own improvisation or their or their own ostinatos and then leaving space Um, but the idea is to like design musical activities for the students to show their friends and family and for them to do with like with each other like with other classmates oh. but that over the christmas holidays we'll have this that we'll have some fun with in class and like during the classes I, sharing with I each see. other um but that they can also kind of take this to their friends and families to do to do something that is a bit interactive okay for the, 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 fam- ris- for,
1: for the audience to participate yeah in as well for people yeah. who don't know gather towns so like a you're talking about like a vr space where you would want you know you could choose whether to go into this room and as an audience member you would go to this area and play the drum circle, then you walk over to this gallery or down this hallway, and you experience the recital.
0: Well, the- Gather Town isn't like entirely V. Like you're not putting yeah. on a VR headset. It more yeah, looks yeah. like um, it actually like it, you're like kind of game or something. yeah. It looks like a video. It looks like a simple video game. It looked mm-hmm. like I was going to say Minecraft, but it actually doesn't look like Minecraft. <laughs> it looks. It looks like a video game, like a like a simple sort of video game. Um, I may end up doing this not using it though it, just to make it easier for people to access but with the same principle of like these are yeah. different activities you can access it may not we'll see <laughs> I was I was I was a little scared to say it in case I go oh. I need to see what's going to be um what's going to be like workable for parents yeah. and kids um you know, and in terms of how many activities we'll have versus how much we'll create kind of group activities. So, for example, the the difference there is like a virtual drum circle for our purposes, right? Mm-hmm. That could mean I have a bunch of different drum, like a body percussion and percussion tracks that the kids have created with me in classes and that, that, that we show. And there's kind of different options for how you join in. Or maybe I'll have kind of one big drum circle track that we sort of take a bunch of different things and put them together and it's more like this is the one audio for the drum circle. So some of these things, does so that make sense?
1: Yeah, so taking, in that case, we said asynchronously. So having each kid record a track at a similar tempo, for example, and then you would edit them together? Is that, yeah, yeah. Is that what you're going with? Okay, So basically.
0: So depending on, and I'm, I really like co-design like mm-hmm. the reason I'm not like, and we will have one drum circle with one drum circle track, mm-hmm. right is because depending on your group, like you get you get mm-hmm. uh students who are into different things, right, and we'll also hopefully have some adults too doing so yeah, so like depending on their interests, we may choose for this to make activities that are more or less complicated, right, so that mm-hmm. like we may have more that students do each of their own individual thing, or we may have more like collaborative um choices, right so that's recital number one do you have any questions that's 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 one of three recitals yeah and i know that sounds complicated but this isn't a synchronous recital right this is that through the term we're preparing some short activities we're putting them together we're doing some planning and then we end up with this kind of cool like kind of interactive gallery so the
1: recitals are like the presentation you're in that it's not a for that one it's not a live recital where you evolve you've produced that and you just can present it to parents and friends and all that. Yeah,
0: I'm hoping we'll just leave it online for a few weeks.
1: Oh wow.
2: wow.
0: Like I, like I said, think of it as an interactive gallery or like a oh. you know and and whether that's on Gather Town or whether that's a different way we present it to make it as technologically flowing as possible for wow. for everyone who needs to access it. Which this is always a thing with online lessons, right? Keeping them like using the technology and mm having fun with leveraging that, but also like keeping it pretty simple so that there's tons we can do with like almost no extra technology, like where it's literally just, just this, right? Like I'm just being transmitted through video and audio. I'm not recording things. I'm not getting fancy. (laughs) Right. And, and I, I do like keeping it simple, but then there's, there's lots we can do. I don't want to make it hard for, for others to access either. Um, so then recital number two, is more of a straightforward online recital, like more of a pre recorded. Here we're doing songs, like, and, um, or, and those that, that could be improvised songs. A lot of students choose, choose to do songs that they've enjoyed from their method books, could be a pop song, but.
1: But th- those are like w- one student performing a solo piece. Yeah. Okay.
0: And that's the key difference between Kaleidoscope and between the in person classes I'm doing mm-hmm. is that Kaleidoscope we're doing collaborative stuff, but it's also about training as soloists. Like we're also, and and again, students can choose to collaborate a bit extra, but um, it's, you know, they're having some time that they're kind of working on their own journey, not, not as, not in an ensemble context. So the second recital is pretty easy to explain. It's that, that sort of straight up pre-recorded video showcase of the kids of what they want to share for, of their work. Um, And then the third recital is in person (laughs) for those who can make it. Yeah. And so um I could I could go into more on like kind of how these are divided up and and yeah. stuff, but I'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, keep us posted and if you have elements of that you can share with with our listeners cuz it sounds super cool, but even hearing it I'm I, I will want to see it in action cuz it sounds sounds super cool, but I don't have a Well, it sounds like with the kids co-designing it, each one can be a different adventure. So, I don't know. Yeah, what trying to imagine what these yeah, recitals will be like but especially that yeah if the, the one that's on the gather town or a similar one the interactive ones definitely would like to see what that's about when it gets going wow you're ahead of your time this is pretty space age
0: well you know like that's a that is by design
2: yeah like
0: that's a conscious decision and it's not that I'm I'm it's not about using the technology just for the sake of it like I'm saying we might use gather town just because gather town's a fun option I could do the same thing with Google Drive yeah. and each Gather Town space mm-hmm. could be a folder in Google Drive.
1: No, I just mean the whole, I mean the whole thing, not just the Gather Town, the <laughs> whole, whole things. Uh...
0: Well, no, but that's, that, that was an example, but I mean the whole thing too. Like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm consciously thinking like, what, what are the good things <laughs> that I want to include? Like what is really helpful or really supportive and what do we want to make a little different than maybe how I've approached things in the past or how I've seen others approach approach things?
1: Yeah. Well, then you have some in-person programs.
0: So a year ago, I was like, I'm just going to do online. I'm just doing
2: online. It's mm-hmm. only online.
0: Um, I still obviously have a big focus on, on- online and on digital content, mm-hmm. digital products, like just the the being able to reach more people, right? And like Mm -hmm. have a broader community and do things like this with you. Um, but I found I was having people ask me locally about things happening in person. Mm -hmm. I found I was hearing from people that online was sort of not an option for them, particularly for that age group I mentioned where I find that as they're having that, that shift in capability online becomes a lot easier because their literacy skills increase. Um, and uh, some of their other skills are increasing at the same time. I won't get into all that, but it's especially because of their literacy skills increasing. Um, so as I was saying, in that range, for some kids we can still make it work, but sometimes it's a little easier to start them not online. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have a six and a half year old and he was keen to do some stuff not online. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm. if I'm going to do in-person stuff, it's kind of cool if I can do things that kind of include my kid as a test subject, mm-hmm. right? And I can, I can, can, it, it, uh, it makes the, the need very clear. He's mm-hmm. like, this is, what, this is what we should do, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was being, sorry, to be specific about that is when I was talking to him, he's done some of my online classes. He will be doing some of my online mm-hmm. classes, but I was kind of like, I was just thinking, you know, as I was planning for next year, like, what does he think about what he mm-hmm. would want to do? with other you know mm-hmm. and he said he wants to get together with other kids and sing songs and make up songs and play instruments yeah, yeah. and i was kind of like yeah that sounds good and like again some of that happens online but i said ah, okay we can make this happen in person so in person <laughs> i am doing i and One other thing, so my in-person classes are at the Harmony Center in Owen Sound, which is a church that was converted into a community art space. So we're in this, the sanctuary, former sanctuary of the church, they now call it the auditorium, um, which is a big, beautiful space with a balcony and incredible acoustics, which I'm so excited to share just that like acoustic environment with the kids. Um, But it's also pretty neat that it's a big space with a balcony so we can do some like kind of spatial work Mm. as as well so the in-person classes are focusing on improvisation and focusing on ensemble improvisation i'll say improvisation and creativity Mm. you know improvisation and creative processes not all processes creative processes need to be totally improvised or or like or uh primarily improvisation but there's a lot of that because i think it's an important skill for a bunch of reasons and i think it serves the development of transferable skills um so we have creative music for kids for ages four to seven so a kind of bridge between that early childhood music group stage and group or individual music lessons stage so that like a child could well my son will be in cloud just go music kids and he'll also be in creative music for kids because they're just slightly different environments um because like I said the in-person isn't focusing on as much one-on-one-to-one type stuff no method book nothing like that it's focused on on the um ensemble experience we have improv team which is for ages 6 to 17 which is interdisciplinary improvisation music movement theater uh maybe we'll get into some other art forms <laughs> but to focus on music movement theater um Ensemble Improvisation Skills. And then we have Creative Rhythm and Voice Ensemble, or Crave Music, which is an all-ages program. By all ages, creative I mean...
1: Rhythm and Voice Ensemble. That's great. It was cave for me. It was That's
0: cave, like but there. I realized...
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no rhythm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and Crave makes a lot more sense because that is the idea, is that we'll get that craving for all the benefits of... of of music that we get. Um, I've been describing it as a drum circle and a choir smushed together. That's all ages. And by all ages, I mean, like, ages 10-ish and up. I mean, you know how it is with older kids. They get a sense pretty quick of whether it's the right kind of space for them or whether they'd rather be with just kids, you know? Mm. Um, but I, I, I really value intergenerational programming so that parents or grandparents and kids can mm. can make music together. Uh yeah, and those are the groups. <laughs> wow.
1: That's amazing. You need to come run those here too.
0: I, well, hey, uh, you can run those there. We can no, have, have some sisters.
1: No, no, groups not, going no, no, on. No, no, that's your job. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's all. Yeah, I definitely want to hear more about the Interdisciplinary Improv Club. Maybe that'll be we'll, – we'll definitely need to follow – once that's going too, we'll get a follow-up on yeah. that because I could ask a million questions about that. But
0: Yeah, and so with these, it was a, like – like I said, I focus on ensemble work. Because I was thinking, like, why do we need to be in person? Like, like one, like, why do some people not want to be online? I have a whole bunch of answers for that. I know you have a whole bunch of answers for that. Like, we mm-hmm. know it works better for some people than others, for some contexts than others. Like, I'm not a an everything must be online evangelist necessarily, right? Um, as much as I see tons of possibility um as well. But like, so so what what's most important about being in person, right? And Mm -hmm. so being in an inspiring, unique space that gives us acoustic and spatial experiences that we wouldn't otherwise have um, and allows us to have the experience of performing, whether in an ensemble or in like a featured moment, right? In a big room, because that's kind of intimidating, but if we're doing it every week, that really... Gets us more comfortable with that big mm. room and that kind of that kind of space and that kind of feeling, um, and then I'll, like creative ensemble work. That's being in person. We can do a little more with creative ensemble work. Like you've done some online, I've done some online, but there there's there are some things we can do in person more effectively. Well, um, like
1: a dr- like a drum circle. You yeah, know, when well, the, you well know, when well, we're having a conversation like this, the latency and delay is not going to be a big deal. And for some music things, we have workarounds, but certain things that are rhythmically in sync and grooving like that is unless everyone's got the best internet around but yeah when you're in that space together yeah that's some of the the magical things you can get from being in the same space with people at this time that doesn't work as well online
0: and and the like you know that in that um uh, I believe in the power of building community online mm-hmm. But for my local community, getting us together in person, bringing people into mm-hmm. this art space that I hope they'll come into for other reasons as well. Like there's something about that community building aspect, about um, like the social benefits we get from music mm-hmm. and like the mood benefits from that and all of those things that I think, again, we can get some of online, but it's enhanced in person. The the just feeling the rhythms, like the physically, like the mm-hmm. physical wellness and health benefits of of music. Um And then also like I, you know, bringing a variety of instruments, people being able to try out some different kinds of percussion instruments. And for the four to seven year olds, having that group music class experience for that age group, that is a little different online because we don't have props and we don't have the same Mm -hmm. auditory and visual spatial experience.
1: I guess one question that. This is something we we have had some conversations about is when you have uh, parents signing their kids up for music class. Like when you have like the baby and toddler class, then it's, you know, people that want their kids to do that. Oh, it's exploratory. Try all the instruments and just have an experience and they don't necessarily have something specific in mind. But as they get older, you know, certain parents like, okay, now it's time for junior to get into piano lessons. And I'm just wondering how, how it's going to work with your, um, sounds like you're already getting some demand from people in your community to have these classes and, so it's in some ways it has a more of that open exploration of some of like what the kids do when they're, when they're younger. But if there's some people specifically looking for just piano lessons or just ukulele lessons, and then if, if you think just cause you're present, cause a lot of these are, yeah, not program, you know, they're, they're very unique programs and yeah, how that's going to work. Yeah. Get, getting people to sign up for something maybe they hadn't heard of, but once they hear about it, they go, Oh wow, this sounds like a great, you know great community for my kid
0: yeah like the idea with with kaleidoscope music lessons is that those online like are piano lessons (laughs) like they're (laughs) in a group but like i was doing a piano group last year yeah the people who i was teaching piano to -to one-to-one before are now in kaleidoscope music classes so um and i've had people locally ask me about theater classes when i did teach one-to-one piano and they were specifically looking for theater not for piano and i think um I think there's some of what you're describing, right? Like there's some people who aren't looking for an improv class. They're looking for a piano class or a music class and they're welcome to join Kaleidoscope Music. But there's also like a lot of piano teachers and piano classes out there, both online and in person. And like uh, if if people are looking for something different than what I'm serving, there's of course tons of other options. Um, But what I've noticed over time is that like, I think to myself, oh, piano is pretty accessible. <laughs> like, keyboards aren't that expensive. Like, mm-hmm. if people really want to, they can probably find a used keyboard. Okay, that must not be the barrier. Like, like you know, et cetera, right? I think, mm-hmm. oh, I think of all these ways that, that piano is possible for people, right? But I've also talked to parents that are basically, like, you know, maybe they're signing one kid up and they're like, oh, but my other child you know, they're older, but they just don't focus as much. There's no way they'd be able to do piano lessons. You know, like yeah. there's some there's some people who... Ex- act, and actually, I, I, that's just an example around focus. But I mentioned to you, even in terms of adult students, I find there's people who are like, oh, I'm definitely not a singer. Or people say like, you wouldn't want to hear me sing, which mm. is why well, I, I won't even unpack that comment, right? Yeah, But yet they're into taking instrumental lessons. Or vice versa, people who are really comfortable singing, really like singing, but they aren't as in- into instrumental stuff. Um, and so the, the, imp- the improv class, I'm hoping that it can open the door to improvisation for people who aren't necessarily going to be signing up for one-to-one lessons or for uh, instrument-specific lessons and who might want to explore some music, but they're you know more comfortable with those theater aspects. Um, Or vice versa. I'm hoping that maybe people who take one-to-one lessons with someone else might come to this and have their, you know, gain improvisation skills that they can then use with their other instrument um, or, you know, gain some insight into the theater world that they can then take away and, and transfer other elsewhere or, you know, students from the Kaleidoscope music classes who are already, you know, getting some of this improv that they can, you know, explore that a little further Mm. in person and get some of those ensemble aspects in person. So I've, I've tried to create complementary programs, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And I've tried to kind of cover like an age range of the types of requests I typically get. Um, Not because I have to serve everyone, (laughs) but Mm. because I'm not sure where else to send people otherwise. And I would like to be able to have those different age groups experience those benefits yeah
1: that's great yeah there is often that gap in that like four to seven range you know before kids might take traditional music lessons but they might be too old for the baby classes and there's there's not not a lot except for the parents that maybe start their kid on violin at age four and that's not gonna not the best fit for for everyone but I, i like i like your answer that you're offering well yeah you know my thoughts on that that you're offering something unique and like hey well if you're looking for something else you can go find this other person that does if you want traditional piano method book one-on-one lessons, here's 100 people that do that. But if you want improv club, you know, this is...
0: And in yeah, Kaleidoscope, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say the majority of my the kids in Kaleidoscope are using method books. Actually, mm. 100% of the children who I piloted the program yeah. with huh. used a method book for at least part of it. Like they may or may not have chosen to have their quests and questions time, which mm. time, be entirely in the method book right like they may have Mm -hmm. chosen to work on unimprovised like a a composition and some improvising and some other things in that time right but actually every single one of the kids who did the pilot was working in a method book um the reason for that is because it helps them have something they can look at in between lessons and come back to right as much as they can and do (laughs) do the improvising activities alone also which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool to hear and see um the method book is like I mean method books actually have a lot of instructions written in them, so the students can in some case work independently in the method book in between yeah. in between classes even so mm. um it's I'm not like anti method book, like we actually like use the method books, and the method books are why it works to do this like individual coaching thing because like they can work on it somewhat independently, more mm. or less depending depending yeah, on the student
1: yeah. I would love to see that in action how you how you juggle all the. The, or even how you stru- structure the time and have the, uh, yeah, someday if you, so, yeah, someday if you uh, yeah get that approved with parents or something, I would love to be a fly on the wall or watch a record. Requ- I'd love to see one of, the, one of the kaleidoscope classes in action so I can see kind of how, how it all hangs together.
0: Well, and the answer is private audio channels. So Musi oh. allows for basically everyone's audio is shut down, but then you can open up the audio with one student at a time. So oh, as awesome. I'm giving that individual feedback, all the students are working way on their own projects, right? And then I'm like opening the audio channel with that. It's as if they're all in their individual practice rooms. I can see I them see. all. Unlike unlike Zoom rooms, I can see I, you know I can see uh, their fish bowls, so to speak, right? And then I open that audio channel. I can hear what they're working on, right? I, yeah, I, I that's um, cool. And we can work individually without them exposing themselves to everyone. But we do do some sharing and feedback.
1: Oh, I see. That's a cool, that's a cool feature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It works. It works pretty well.
1: With our future sponsor, Musi.
0: Yeah. Listening,
1: Sam. Yeah. Wow.
0: And, and the the other thing with it, I mean, I could talk at length about the benefits because there's a bunch of components to this. All of the components are evidence-based. So they're all, this is more than we can cover in this episode, but there's reasons why each of those components are in the program. And there's reasons why they're in the program how they are and in the order they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things is that so we have this individual time, but then there's also time to share. And so mm. students are getting to build that sharing muscle because sharing mm-hmm. is a bit scary, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's sharing with feedback or without feedback, like we've talked about this in previous episodes, right? Like even if we're prepared, <laughs> even if we're yeah. used to doing it, we can still get... Sweaty and our heart races, yeah, you know, it can still so, be uncomfortable.
1: So, yeah. so they get It's build- like calling it a show and tell,
2: show and tell, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're exc- yeah.
1: excited about They're usually excited about doing that from kindergarten, showing their showing well, and that's their the thing.
0: thing, yeah. They can be excited and it can be motivating, but it can also yeah. be challenging. So, that's why I call it like I refer to it as a muscle. I'm not sure, there's, you know, we get we or, or we could say we just get used to it through exposure, right? Like, we get used to sharing and having that kind of somewhat intimidating experience of sharing but we're doing it like every week so by the time the recital rolls around like they're used to you know
1: yeah there's less fight or flight or they feel more like yeah if they feel like you're sharing like you're talking to a friend or part of the community then that's what we've talked about before too that it kind of said sort of circumvents you know sidesteps the fight or flight over time once you feel safe sharing
0: talking about process like i speak of this as if it's a means to an end Like, oh, we do it every week, and that just really benefits them for the end. And, like, I believe so strongly in this that for each element, I want to just say, like, this is why we're doing this. Like, (laughs) don't you see all these benefits? And often I refer to what those kind of benefits are at the end because that's how we typically talk about music lessons, right? Like, the satisfaction of a fantastic performance. Mm -hmm. Right or like the gift of music for the rest of our like we really talk about it in this like payoff in the future mm-hmm. way, which aside from the fact that that is not a great way to motivate ourselves, as I've mentioned to you, and the science behind there's a bunch of interesting science behind that in terms of using extrinsic rewards that happen after um, yeah. the effort. Yeah. That's a whole other discussion. What I wanted to say though. Is that the sharing in the class, even though I talked about it like a means to an end, is really a lovely little special thing on its own, in its own moments. And if you don't mind if I just share a couple little reasons or things about that that I really love. One is just hearing the kids give genuine positive feedback to each other Mm. off the cuff is beautiful to hear. It's beautiful to hear the kid who is giving the feedback do such a like say such caring things like it's not like like you know it's just they'll genuinely say like wow that was really cool (laughs) or like that was a really cool song you wrote like just sounded really good you know and the kid saying that means so something different than me Mm -hmm. saying like when they hear it from their peer and so not for the person giving the feedback it's a beautiful caring moment for them to be able to like share that positive feedback in that way. For the student receiving it, it's a beautiful moment because that's a different kind of impact and it creates a different kind mm-hmm. of classroom culture like when it's not just me giving the feedback as in, mm-hmm. you know, or or even a parent giving the feedback, right? And the kids get to be inspired by each other. Yeah. But what I was gonna say is that you, what you may find surprising is that I equally love it when students choose not to share because mm-hmm. so often we have a big performance and we are like, like some kids may want to perform, but there like can sometimes be some pressure <laughs> towards that performance, right? Or even some coercion <laughs> or bribery. Um, and also sometimes it can be like, oh, it's this one opportunity, right? But like for students to be able to make that choice and consent, and to say, yeah, I'd like to share today, or to be mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not in that at that point in my process. Like I just love seeing them make that choice and like take kind of responsibility for where they're at or sometimes they'll be like I only want to share up to this point because that's as much as I've practiced Mm -hmm. right or whatever but having them like have that ownership over what they share when they share if they share in that moment um like I love that just as much as like the sort of successful performances or like super cute feedback
1: yeah, and then seeing someone who chooses not to share and listens for week after week or month after month and then finally jumps up with with something and it makes it that much more, yeah, more well, impactful for everyone.
0: Well, yeah, and as we know, like some kids will listen every week and you wish they would share, but then some kids like don't want to listen as much. They just yeah, want to share their own stuff. So it's nice being able to like have that balance hmm. uh, both ways. Well, but okay, what about you? Oh. <laughs> Can you tell me about what you're up to? Because oh. I have a. I, you know, the more, you can keep asking me questions and I will keep talking about yeah, this because I've watched it.
1: I've no- noticed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, I'm not uh, unveiling as much uh, new programs like uh, what you are, but I had, yeah, I mentioned I've had this saxophone studio going, you know, one-on-one, somewhat traditional lessons, but focused with often kids who are playing jazz or improvising and, and doing that. That's just been kind of on, Going for, for years, but I've really been developing these community based creative music improvisation programs. One's the Game Symphony Workshop, where we use some elements from improvised theater games to make um, maybe the process a little bit more disarming and community based, and people become a little more comfortable in that environment with, with games and activities um, collaboratively improvising, composing their own music. And then also, I've been working with uh, various school programs—high schools, middle schools, and universities—around here for various classes. Or I've kind of fallen into a some sort of a my own my own little niche, I guess, of kind of helping students get like the jazz program specifically, like get jam session ready or get jazz combos going. Because so many of these programs are based very much in these large ensembles—you've got a large concert band, and marching band, and a large orchestra, and a choir—and then you know maybe 30 years ago school started having these jazz ensembles but still so many of them were run maybe even more like a you know a military band or concert band we're learning this music but there's maybe a jazz style behind it then there's some sections where people are supposed to improvise and maybe someone who's really into it or they're you know take lessons you've got a couple kids that are ready to jump up and improvise and play solos and everyone just kind of hides back until it's time to play the third trombone part again and and there's a lot of that going on in those big you know, jazz competitions and all of this, but there's been more and more interest with that really an experience of if you're just kind of hanging back and playing your part and never sticking your neck out there, it's not going to be the deepest jazz experience where you've got this element of contributing to the group and being part of something bigger than yourself and supporting your friends and all that that we get, you know, the empathy and listening from an ensemble, but also being able to express yourself and share your point of view. So I've been doing various, you know, the, I had, let's see, because that sort of game, you know, theater game kind of stuff, and I had that separated from more jazz training, and now they're all sort of, they're all kind of combining together, but I would find different ways to have a workshop experience, but it can be challenging if you've got 20 kids in the room, and they're all expected to play solos, and if you're taking turns, you know, you play a solo, now you play, you know, like how I learned, here's a bunch of confusing chords and scales, and we're going to stick a microphone in your face and pass it around. So you go between being bored and checked out to like, oh crap, it's my turn, I know I'm going to sound bad, and everyone's going to laugh at me. So it was like it could be kind of annoying or traumatic for some, for some kids. So finding different ways to make this work as a group. So I teach lots of, lot of call and response with everyone all at once, teaching, teaching tunes by ear and having kids do their own variations and do call and response back and forth. And mixing that up with some of the more textural you know, games or do some conducted improvisation, which is sound painting. Mixing those together have been a program that has been attractive to several of these programs. I work a lot with this community music school called ja- Seattle Jazz Ed. Um, and getting that program, they were called Jazz Clubs. Now I have a new new name, but working with, there was one group to bridge the gap between kids that basically learned how to play. The first, the first classes are just some basic, know how to put your instrument together how to make your first sounds and how to get up to the first you know there's there's a lot a lot involved in just getting the wind instruments working and articulating and and all of that but then there was a big gap between that and the more advanced level ensemble so it's like what's the what's the gap and so i was helping design a program for the kids to be able to learn we almost use no notation there are some charts a little bit but learn some music by ear did some of these community games, but then they learned how to play solos and had these songs memorized and were ready to go to a jam session. So we hosted some informal student jams. They could come up and play the tune they learned because so much of this music is really social and just being able to have that jam session experience and culture, which you don't always get in just jazz band, which as I said, feels more like marching band where you're an interchangeable little piece in this, in this machine. And, you're not you have less less ownership over you know over what you're playing so yeah i'm I'm in the process of another one of these big jazz programs that's very competitive and wins these national awards and they have a relatively uh kind of a new young director and he wants to have some of the intro kids who are in their third big band you know this like 18 piece jazz band but he wants me to help run this um it's almost what's yours called improv team this is called improv club so the kids they're spending less time just rehearsing their ensemble music and right away they're getting some more of those skills so i yeah i've fallen into doing this i don't work for any school full-time not a full-time ensemble director or even part-time anywhere but just as a I guess as a uh, clinician or contractor like coming in to su- support these programs because it's not it's not really my my jam to be a to be a Full-time band director, but I like going into these programs. I've done like summer workshops, one-off workshops, b- helping them build combos, or in this case, kind of an ongoing improvisation class, and that's been really cool. I love, you know, and I like working with more advanced students too. Sometimes there's some that are like getting ready for grad school auditions and working on more advanced things. But I've really found that niche of getting people that can basically play their instrument but haven't improvised before, or might be terrified, or you know, getting them so they're like jam session ready. And then, then some of them they find that um, that community and the camaraderie you get when it's like student led, you know. And there's some student led jam sessions now for some of my former students who were in these programs that are now like some of are in college or have graduated recently, and they're putting together these outdoor jam sessions. I get to go to with all these former students that are all into into having the the jam culture. Uh, so I've been yeah. We've got a few of these coming up and they're you know i tailor these experiences for you know the format of these different classes and schools and um and i was doing a similar thing recently when i was in my uh yeah a few weeks ago i the hawaii symphony brought me out to run their summer jazz intensive which was a very sweet gig i actually recorded some reflections on that i may have a solo episode coming out on that but kind of running they're like jazz combos which are usually like three to six people but these were a little bit bigger and just doing all those same things teaching them tunes by ear some of the community textural ensemble things but then having them you know have a big performance and playing jazz tunes and they had jam sessions every day so building building those kinds of experiences and it's had there seems to be more of a, a need for it as the jazz programs want to want students to have those experiences and skills but and as you've I've been talking about, I've done some like improvisation retreats and for for adults. And I really yeah, it's like the I- idea of doing more of those where it's kind of our own. I really like supplementing and serving some of these other programs, but kind of also, you know, building our own thing and having these workshops and retreats or summer camps, things like that. But at the moment, I'm doing a lot of this, you know, helping serve the local jazz programs in the in the community and yeah I found a thing that's you know there's a need for it and it's somewhat unique there's lots of jazz artists that come in and teach often like instrumental coaching or something but I'm trying to yeah design these whole programs and yeah that that's sort of what I have coming up it's taking you know it's not that much different from what I've been doing but it's um I'm into the over the years that I've been doing it, I'm starting to yeah, d- design more of the programs for these schools instead of just kind of coming in as a helper every now and then, like being more involved with making the whole music and jazz experience happen. so anyway, any probably have some questions on that that's that's a quick overview. I hope that was sort of hope that was clear, clear as mud. I
2: don't know
0: I liked how you talked about bridging the gap mhm I think whether like you were talking about folks that kind of have some starter stuff, or maybe you're doing some of the starter stuff, if we want to call it that. I there, I mean, we can call it foundational, but what I... Yeah, I'm, or just like basic,
1: probably like proficiency.
0: Proficiency, maybe. yeah. yeah. But what I was going to say is that like the amount of that stuff can, can vary widely, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then it tends to be like an experience problem, not an information problem. And I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people think that they need music lessons or they need a facilitator to come into their group or whatever because of an information problem, which even 10 years ago... There wasn't as as many music resources available online, and certainly not. Well,
1: now our information problems the other way. We've got too much information. That's yeah, the that's what I yeah. mean.
0: It's yeah. like so we need a guide to make sure we're getting the right information, yeah, and yeah. that we're kind of on a on track to get to where we want to go in time. That we're not getting like too lost in a certain category of information. Mm-hmm. That like we're moving, you know, towards the right ma- milestones on the right trajectory. But um, or like when I was a kid, you know, I the. The, like the music resources, like I had to like pay someone to tell me stuff because I yeah, there, yeah. or I could maybe buy books and find it, but I wouldn't even necessarily know which books to buy. Like it mm-hmm. was all, it was all much more maze like, you know. Whereas now, there's tons of information, you know. And not to say that there isn't a role for teachers and mentors and guides for all the reasons I said, but um, but that I think bridging that gap is often an experiential thing. It's often You know, I heard recently on a podcast, a scientist saying that humans learn from experience. We want to front load experiences. Um, And if humans learn from information, all we would need is textbooks, right? Like we would just Mm -mm. ship some textbooks to each of these kids or send them a a list of links uh, for like informational YouTube videos and then they'd be set.
2: Yeah. And and things like
1: that can be guides through experience, but but uh, yeah. not, not often. And it's it's wonderful that all that information's there, right? I had to re- you know replace a certain fuse in my car and I wasn't sure if, you know, I get to look it up on YouTube and get the information. I didn't have to hire someone for a private lesson. I could just get the information and do the thing. So that is quite handy. But yeah, in this case, yeah, being able to make that an experience when a lot of it is, part, part of it can be information. Usually the problem is too much information. And it's confusing. And, but also making that kind of making the right kind of environment and the right space where they feel comfortable doing it and have a good time and connect with their friends and then it feeds on itself so it's often more of a fear or you know, emotional regulation and community thing that i'm putting together or not yeah it's if you're a music teacher and trying to be a gatekeeper for information it's going to be a hard time for you because that's not, maybe it may be in the past uh but also yeah when i talk about proficiency because at a certain point someone's first time making a sound you know the creative thing can happen just right away your first lesson you don't need a certain amount of proficiency to do something creative and improvise so I've, even in beginning classes we'll do the creative stuff just for these particular things it's going to be with more of a jazz focus and we're going to learn a tune together for that kind of experience you need a proficiency of being able to make some kind of characteristic sound they might know some note names you know so we're on the same page so for those kind of classes there is kind of like a prerequisite level of where you need to be but it's not super high but as yet i want to make it clear that you don't need to learn a whole bunch of scales before you do something creative i mean you can just you can just you can do that from from day one but if i've got kids that are you know going to be ready to play in a jazz jam session by the end of the quarter then yeah there's a certain level of proficiency that yeah and with the saxophone kids i could be there as part of the proficiency proficiency training but not not always and finding things that work well with people with even at the same age, there can be varying levels of technique and varying levels of theoretical knowledge. So, as soon as I get to anything technical or anything too theoretical, here's how you build a chord. Some people are kind of lost right off the bat, and some are bored. And like hitting the sweet spot is so hard with that stuff. It can be possible, but I do a lot more of these conceptual things that people did varying levels of experience or technique, or like they can understand if we're talking about how to maybe shape and build intensity, or we're going to take a theme and make some changes to it, or we're going to do question and answer phrases or or things like that. And some people that maybe have more technique can flash their stuff a little bit, but it's still gauging. So a lot of, yes, yeah, certain so things that are more rhythmic and phrasing and conceptual and... um talking about the form and the arc there's certain things that really can latch in with what everyone's doing but yeah as soon as it gets too technical and theoretical and that's often how jazz improvisation in the early years was taught like well here you play this mode here and do this and here's a scale pattern and here's a lick and all this all this stuff which can be either confusing or cookie cutter or 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 some people are gobbling it up and other people are just are some people are just scared and then throwing all that stuff on it doesn't help
0: well, and I find that a lot of that information is relatively quick and easy to learn later in the journey. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've, especially when I talk when I'm thinking about children,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
0: but adults too. Like really, for any any journey curve, but especially when it's children who are like developing their and and as I was talking about, like in those early stages, trying to get like some of this stuff memorized can be really slow <laughs> and it can just take a lot of time like you know I, I that's a whole other subject around memorization and things like that but like there's some technical concepts that were more that we're more likely to try to get children to learn all the names or terminology around things when they're a bit older not that you can't teach it to them at a younger age it's just like a, a cost benefit thing around like how long it's going to take them you know and the benefit
1: and they'll get from it. All, oh, yeah. And starting with all the notation right away, this this nonprofit us talking about jazz ed, or I was running those jazz clubs. I was doing, over the summer, we did like a week-long intensive of like, learn to play your instruments. So I was working with the clarinets. Like, beginning, they didn't know how to put it together. And by the end, we actually learned this little Coltrane song by ear with a couple parts, and they were playing. But for that, there were like no music stands. We used no notation. I might have, I had a little, at some point, I gave them a handout to show them what we were playing, where it was on the staff. We just did it all by ear, by rote, and by modeling. And they learn, and they learn quick. because Yeah, so often because they're in band right off the bat, it's like, okay, well, here's the treble clef and here's the meter and all these abstract symbols and keeping track of the note names and where they are instead of in the physicality of just maneuvering this awkward instrument and making a sound is can be enough of a barrier. So it was just focusing on that. It was really cool doing it, <clears throat> doing it in that way. And and as you said, once you have. Like in in this area, if you've got kids that learn some easier tunes and they're jamming and they're really into it, then later on they want to play more difficult music. That's when they can be like, okay, well, now we need the foundation of, you know, knowing your major scales and we're shifting whatever you want to learn what the Dorian mode is or how to build the seventh chord. Like if they're already hungry for it and they've had the experience and they love it and they're like all in, then we can go through the mountain of like technical work and they're ready for it because they like have experienced the benefits. And then we go into more of like the this is a like kind of a, a mountain of a very small mountain, a foothill of theory and technique. And it's like, hey, you can jam on these. There's some of these like beginner tunes that don't change keys and they're groovy. And we can learn 50 of those if you want. But your friends are playing some of these more advanced songs than we get into the. And so that's a huge part of what I do. It's fr- front loading it with other stuff with the community building and with rhythm and variations and all those things that I was talking about. And then doing the chords and theory later like that's one of my big teaching licks doing it that way and it's just t- not how not how like the you know the jazz pedagogy land is very heavy in the in the other stuff and once someone's ready for it then you can find all that online or wherever there's no shortage well, of
0: well exact I, like and i should say when i i uh, i tend to agree <laughs> i do i do for some first depending on the context sometimes i do do notation fairly early but in sometimes with non-standard notation or there's There are different approaches. And I will mention that for some kids I've found who are like pre, pre-literacy, right? Or like they're just kind of, they're pretty young. They're just learning to read. I found occasionally they really get notation. It's like as they learn to read, they learn notation. And it's like, yeah. it seems the same to them almost. Like they just get it right away. And it's super supportive right away. That's not always the case, <laughs> but I found like when it is, sometimes if you just dip their toe in a little, they can, they can really, you know, I don't want to say take it from there, but like they can really build upon that. Mm-hmm. But I, I heard a, 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 well, I was talking to a, a former primary school teacher about stories and about how kids can tell a story before they can write down a story. hmm And I was kind of thinking, I was just thinking of the the parallels there, how like sometimes some kids really vibe with notation and it helps them, Sometimes, you know, sometimes kids don't vibe with notation and it takes them longer, kind of like how some kids learn how to write a story pretty early and they can actually write a fair bit of a story, right? But for other kids, like they're really not going to get there quite at the same rate of being able to write down a story, right?
1: Yeah, well a kid can, you know, tell you they're hungry long before they can write it on the note and yeah. say, Hey mom, feed me, you know. So And so
0: that we should give the kids an opportunity yeah. to tell stories without having to write them down, so yeah, to speak, yeah. right? In a in a musical sense.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah, huge on that in all these workshops. But it's funny, when I get back into like teaching saxophone lessons, got some kids coming over, like the notation comes in early. Oftentimes I'm getting them ready for band and you know, so I'm is I'm helping these other systems. Like I would And I probably should. It's funny. A lot of those beginning lessons are not for all this creative talk I do and creative media I'm putting out there. A lot of the, yeah, some of the basic um, elements of like, hey, let's play the instrument, learn how to read. It ends up. It certainly could be more creative. I sometimes just kind of default to how it's done or how I was how I learned, and you know. But then putting in those things and learning by ear. But yeah, we end up doing a lot of notation right off the bat, just because I want to make sure. You know a lot of times parents are like hey you know junior wants to pick up the instrument and join join the band in the fall so i have to get them ready on those skills not always in the in the way that i would introduce them myself so
0: Yeah yeah well and sometimes too that's a good point and that's the reason that like i'm not anti notation i'm not anti method book you know because it it gives us shared vocabulary and um yeah. Well, the saxophone and-
1: method books are so much worse than the the piano ones are just like well sequenced have bright colors the saxophone ones are I'm hoping someone ma- yeah, made one that make makes... Uh, I've got a love-hate relationship with some of these method books, but a lot of the ones that people have just been using by default are very outdated and like, that fingering hasn't actually existed on a saxophone since 1934, so we're going to cross that out. Like, that's...
0: I think we could do a whole, a whole episode just on this.
2: But yeah. before
0: we wrap up, I have another question for you, yeah. though. And that is... Um, I'm making sure this is actually a question. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, by the end of this, I'll have a, it'll it'll be a question. But right. that that is that. So, like often in the contexts I work, when I'm not facilitating groups out and about, but you know, um, like piano is often a solo instrument. Voice is not always. You know, sometimes where some some people have more experience in voice ensemble, but often if I'm doing individual lessons with someone. Um, it's a more of an individual experience or if people are trying to develop their vocal technique, mm-hmm. it's more of an individual experience. Whereas what you described, there are folks who are, it's primarily an ensemble experience, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is whether, like, as you're developing uh, like these, this ex- the experiences and the skills in these, in, in, in these folks, Do you think that would be different if you were working with, um, you know... (laughs) Do you find the piano players in the group are different? (laughs) But what I mean is, like, do you think that... Have you noticed that different depending on the degree to which the, you know, the folks that you're working with are kind of more focused on their own individual journeys, like perhaps some of the post-secondary students you work with versus, you know, maybe high school band students who have this sort of core ensemble experience, but it might not be a creative ensemble experience.
1: Yeah. So there's, like we were talking about, you know, the downside of doing you know, if you're taking piano lessons, I mean, one thing that's wonderful about is you can work on these solo pieces and it's a complete musical experience. So you can go, go down to your piano and play pieces of music and they're complete and have that experience. And I like the little bit that I do play piano. It is nice that you don't need the whole band. You've got, you can be the whole orchestra at the keyboard, but they run into the problem of maybe not having that community experience. I feel like they belong to something because they're so isolated. And a lot of band, band students, I mean, like, you know, wind, wind band, rock bands, a different thing, but like wind band <laughs> concert band at school, jazz band that they've got that community and they're, you know, playing at the football games and going on trips and you've got someone, you know, you've got the leader, you've got your friends that they have that community experience big time. But a lot of them become very dependent on that, that you're, uh, that you need someone telling you what music you're going to play, where you're going to go. And then later on, if they're not, playing music seriously, it's like, oh, I don't have time for band in college, so I'm going to stop playing. Like, they don't have that connection with their instrument to play. You know, someone who might love playing bassoon in the orchestra maybe feels less passionate about, they might be practicing their parts on bassoon, but they're not, uh, it's not the same thing without the whole ensemble and all your friends there. And so, I mean, even during the pandemic, obviously a lot of students work working on unaccompanied pieces like to play so you can have that complete musical experience, like writing music, playing unaccompanied pieces, and some that were more advanced. We would do some like Bach violin partitas and cello suites that were, you know, adapted for saxophone that were designed to be solo pieces. And I like playing those because I'm not practicing something and trying to imagine that there's a piano accompanist or imagining an orchestra that's not there. That's actually a complete musical experience. Um, but some of the kids that, yeah, end up writing their own music or putting together their own ensembles, those are the ones that seems to be a predictor of people that want that continue playing, right? Some need a band to play in and someone to tell them what to do in order to keep playing. And you can find that, but then others will, you know, learn, you know, learn their own songs off of YouTube or the ones that have a little more independence or initiate things they're the ones that tend to like continue no matter what situation they're they're at i mean that's that's the one the one thing some of these kids that are in these programs they're competitive and they travel and win awards and they've got these screaming audiences but then when those support systems are gone then it's like you're alone in your apartment with your saxophone and you don't have your parents screaming for you at the jazz competition anymore you know once that's all gone where's the connection to the music um and it can involve finding finding more people, but so I, I I just see that as an opposite problem of the person who just plays guitar or piano by themselves. You know, there's, I, I yeah I <laughs> yeah whether you have the yeah complete sorry yeah the, the the solo being able to have the solo experience or the group experience, but being too stuck in just one or the other sometimes can lead to problems later on.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's a that's an interesting question for another episode. Yeah, about whether playing a solo instrument or a, like a self-contained instrument yeah. or an yeah. instrument with a broader frequency range or an instrument that is often played solo or whatever, whether that leads one to have greater musical independence or. Mm. Uh, be more likely to like have intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation or et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I think the different like that, I think you, you touched on something really important there in terms of finding ways of Mm self-initiating creative processes or musical goals. Um, you know, I have definitely been alone in my apartment, (laughs) Or alone in my house or whatever. Like, it's taken a long time to develop my own tools and techniques and Mm -hmm. strategies and mindsets to... uh, I mean, well, maybe uh, I, th- I think that, but I mean maybe in a way I was kind of intrinsically motivated from the beginning because I was writing music from such a young age, but I think despite writing music from such a young age, I also know the pain of feeling blocked or feeling um like I'm looking for structure or supports or extrinsic um motivators or those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. um, so, I yeah, that but but that having that kind of sense of not just drive from within but desire from within. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you said that, you, that that was kind of a predictor of future success or future yeah. ambitions. Or just Be- life,
1: or maybe li- sure, like li- lifelong musicianship, I think, but there's some kind of initiating. But realizing even when I was in Windows of I was like practicing a lot on my own, it was still in the context of like being in a school where I had other people that were doing it too and jam sessions to go to. So when you're feeling really isolated, like during a pandemic i'm like oh that's a different feeling than working on your craft alone and going back out and playing with people rather than just like really being really being shut down but yeah the drive um yeah well i guess i can wrap up with one of my favorite quotes maybe i bring this up by bob ross you know the paint tv painter i was in for halloween once but i brought yeah i bring this one all the time he had a, a quote that was that talent is pursued interest They've said that in the show, but coming back to it. So it's that maybe there's something intrinsic that makes you interested in something, but then continuing to do it. So someone who gets very skilled at something, it's not like anyone dro- dropped out of the womb, figure skating or playing an instrument or being really good at chess or wh- whatever. But it's something they're interested in and then enjoying the process of doing it, regardless of your skill level and continuing to pursue that until someone's like, oh, Lauren, you're so talented. I wish I was talented. And it's like, well, hey. I- Yeah, when I wanted to tell my when my dentist said that to me, and I'm like, "Oh, you're so lucky you you're you know have the talent to be a dentist." I wish I could do it. I just don't have the talent for it, and you know, that'd be ridiculous. You could go to dental school too. It's the same same thing, but yeah, that there may you know how, how much you know what is there some you know natural gift how much that plays into it, which I think the research says like a lot less than we might expect. But I just like that if you're if you've got the interest and you pursue it, like that's where it, yeah. And if you that's keep
0: pursuing it. your interests, then you end up pursuing a podcast.
1: Yeah. Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good. it it's been the time always flies.
1: Yeah. So it really does. We we succeeded at um, coming up with another fun episode. We didn't end up. We said, "Oh, this one will be pretty short." Look what happened. We got to cut it off after that was. That's how it's gonna go.
0: But if we forgot anything, Mm -hmm, please get in touch and ask us your questions. If there's more we can follow up with, if there's something that was very confusing, if there is something that you'd like to know more about, or if you have suggestions for future episodes.
1: Yeah, you can write to, yeah, at hello at infiniteimprovisation.com. Okay, thanks for listening. Until next time.
0: Thanks. Remember to subscribe, and we'll see you again soon.